welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is not doing anything remotely interesting. He is just not here. This is round seven, turn five, and I've got the casual gamer, Jake, with me. Hey, Jake. Hello, everyone. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, and it's so nice to be back with you. How are you? Ah, doing good, doing good. And if there is somebody that is further down the game spectrum than the casual gamer, it can only be the man who is formerly known as the non-gamer, the philosophical gamer, Dimitri is riding shotgun. How Yay. you doing, Dimitri? I'm great. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, buddy. I uh, really appreciate it. I love you. having my friends. There's nothing more I'd like to do this morning than talk to you about games. Today is a time travel theme because we are going back in time. We're going all the way to 1998 to review a game called Elfinland by Alan R. Moon. Uh, Alan R. Moon is the designer of Ticket to Ride, so a monster in the industry. He is also the man, the creator of the Gathering of Friends the most select cabal Illuminati type organization for the board gaming world, an invite only week long get together of great designers testing out new designs. And he told Trey and I at BGG con that the next gathering of friends, we would be invited. And uh, whoa, well then the world fell apart, but up until then, we were fe- <laughs> we were feeling pretty good about that. Or maybe they held a gathering yeah, a of, of friends and just plans. didn't invite you. There's a distinct possibility that they in, that, that they had a gathering of friends, or that they, or even that they were going to have a gathering of friends, and that we were not going to go. But <laughs> it's nice to be told we'd be invited, whether or not we're actually invited. Uh, we're also going to look this episode at how to recognize when a game is not for you, which when we're talking on the casual gamer and the mm-hmm. former non-gamer, I think that that is a really interesting topic. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's also interesting for me. I think that there are many games. We've, we've discussed some features that immediately start to give me the sense that maybe this game just isn't going to be for me. So we're going to delve into that and see what that gets us. But right now, guys, how about we just jump right in to this week's game night? was nice enough to send me an email this week just laying out what some of the other people in the game group were playing this week, uh, which I thought was really good. So here we go. For me, I played Elfinlands. I played The Crew. I played Tichu. I played Twilight Struggle. Uh, Trey, Ben, and Elder played Faron. Alfred, Paul, and our friend David played Russian Railroads. Paul, Alfred, and Mike the Boy Kananak played Clans of Caledonia. Uh, Mike Alfred Paul played Elfinland. Paul Alfred played Race for the Galaxy. And of course, Jake, myself, Paul, and Dimitri played an epic game of Elfinland. What else What else did you guys play this week? Anything? That actually sounds like a games question on the LSAT. <laughs> uh, so, so now for all those listening, who is the person who did not play with Mike? Yeah, right. <laughs> is that really all they uh, ask you on the LSATs? 
Well, well, there's a game section in the LSAT. There's a logic so section. a logic section, okay. There's a reading section and a game section. The game section is basically there's six tables at the restaurant, and Mike can't sit next to Rachel. Rachel can only sit next to Bob. What, what, what you just read out is a setup for one of those. Uh, how do you explain when do the- they teach you to put the system on trial? Uh, never. <laughs> the system is the system. You cannot fight it, Jake. How many times That's have I told you, you that? That's how you win all the big cases. I know from every movie I've ever seen in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah. You're out of order. I'm out of, out of order. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> uh, Dimitri, what? I haven't been playing. The- oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, buddy. No, no, no. no. You first, Jake. You are actually the guest. Dimitri is just a strap oh, no. hanger. He's a, a hobo that has <laughs> leaped onto our train and is traveling with us. Um, I was just going to say that I the only board games I played was with you, which I love, okay. The Elf and Land. But I have um, been playing some Xbox, and I was playing some Neverwinter this week. Which is super throwback, obviously, but uh, yeah, just felt like a little felt like a little D and D boost, and uh, that seemed to do it for me. Yeah, that that's the uh, that's the D and D RPG essentially, correct? Exactly right. Yeah, it's freeware. It's yes. completely free online. They just want everybody to not forget about them. They're like, we're still here. <laughs> uh, we need we need more elves in sector twelve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that's what I've been scratching my itch with. Uh, in the late night hours. Dimitri, what about you? Anything else? Well, well, Elfenland, and I've been reading. Reading? Yeah, finally I've kind of gotten back into the uh, focused mind mode. Nice. If that makes sense. Because yes. I, I've been so brain scattered. I, I know exactly, exactly what you mean. It has been... You know, it has been a really tumultuous time in our in our country. It's been it's been crazy. It's been hit after hit after hit. All these horrible things happening, and it can't not affect you. Um, and for a while, I was exactly what you're talking about. I was I was just sort of brain scattered and and, and brain dead. Uh, something clicked in me about uh, three weeks ago. Maybe, yeah, two to three weeks ago. And I just flipped a switch, and I have been more productive in the last few weeks than I've ever been in my entire life. It's been crazy. Excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, I, I decided to – there was a novel that I started writing about uh, two or three years ago. I said, you know what, it's about time I, I tried writing something other than a screenplay. Um, I finished a very rough pass of it this week. So I want to read That's it. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I, me too. I, I'm gonna have to do another uh, another round on it, another uh, a draft of it before it's ready. But at my current pace, I uh, I hope to have something for for some alpha readers to take a look at. In, Is it a genre novel? In July, yeah, it's a it's a spy thriller. Oh, cool. Um, I I would say that. Um, have reading spy thrillers. It's not really your mama's spy thriller. It's probably uh, got a little more rock and roll to it, a little more Quentin Tarantino in it. It's a, a little more irreverent. It's not, you know, it's it's not the the gray man of MI6, and you know, it, it's a little pulpier, I guess. Uh, though pulp, I find in thriller, they tend to mean hard boiled detective, and that's not what I mean by that. Hugh Laurie wrote Sounds a cool. wonderful spy thriller called uh, The Gun Cellar. Uh, Hugh Laurie, uh, Hugh the actor. Laurie, the actor. Yes, it's one of the best uh, spy thriller mm. books I've read, and also *I Am Pilgrim* by the co-writer of the original *Mad Max* and *Road Warrior* is something I would recommend. Frank, 
Miller? No. No, no, the co-writer. George Miller. Not, not the director. Okay, the, the co-writer. The co-writer. Yes. Um, I've been told The Traveler by uh, Chris Pavone is, a, is a, a work that I should look at because it's also sort of spy but fun and, and uh, action-y and, and has a little more to it than than a lot of them we'll see we'll see dimitri always has the best book recommendations anybody who ever is listening to this and he says read this book you should read oh yeah book. yeah if you don't think if you don't like think, if you don't know that about dimitri if you, you don't think before that. i before i finish my first novel i am not going to be leaning heavily on this man he is yeah it's er- pretty amazing erudite as all heck as far as this particular subject and i'm really looking forward to that um Let's let's just move right on though because this, this is not the this is not the the, the novel writing show. This is the board game. <laughs> well, it's not the macrame circle. No, uh, not yet. Anyway, down, not yet. But uh, let's get to the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Novel, South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Uh, first up in game news is uh, well, it's it's an interesting story. Origins. Origins is one of the big two gaming conventions, well, big three gaming conventions in the United States, right? There's Gen Con, which is the largest, Origin, which is sort of the baby brother of Gen Con, and then BGG Con is also uh, way up there these days. Um, Origins is more like um, Gen Con in that it has role-playing games, it has LARPs, it has, you know, everything that you want is there. Uh, they canceled their convention, but then they were planning an online convention, and something very interesting happened. Um, people started dropping out, presenters, uh, uh, people that were, were due to be on panels and all that sort of stuff. They started getting out in mass, and it was because uh, Origins never put out a Black Lives Matter statement of any kind. They didn't address... Uh, what was going on in in the world and the nation? Where whereas Gen Con, like all of the other uh, 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 conventions, you know, made at least some statement as to how they uh, respected uh, the the diversity in in their hobby and they wanted to do things to encourage that and and to just say a simple three word statement: uh, Black Lives Matter. And uh, they didn't do that, so a lot of people started dropping out, and then. They announced that they were going to cancel the event. And uh, Gamma, which is the trade organization that runs the thing or sort of in charge of the thing, put out a rather lengthy statement uh, about how, oh, you know what? We should have done this earlier. It was bureaucracy. It wasn't, uh, you know, intentional negligence. Uh, But we support Black Lives Matter and blah, 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 blah. And we understand. We hear you. We're canceling the event. Um, Then Eric Lang, who, by the way, is killing it if you have not subscribed to eric lang who is the creator of uh of uh, blood rage and uh, many other great games um if you're not subscribed to his twitter feed you should because he has been amazing in in his insights into this time and place uh, especially from a person in in the board game hobby a black man and uh, a person who is feeling this in a certain way he had a post about Minneapolis that was eye-opening. He was describing the three encounters he had with the police in Minneapolis because uh, one of the game companies that he would work for was in Minneapolis, so he had to go there frequently. And he described in chilling and uh, really precise detail how those encounters went and really gave 
a lot of people a window into the, the, the his daily his daily life or what what happens from time to time in this country. He also put out a post about Gamma's statement about the cancellation of Origins, where he called them out and said, paradoxically, what you've done is you have put yourself at the head of the story instead of the people of color who were the ones who resigned from Origins in the first place, and you're essentially silencing them by reporting the story in such a way that you said, we had some people drop out, and so we've decided to cancel it because blah, 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 blah. We have decided that we need to make a statement about Black Lives Matter. And um, it was a really, really great post. And at the end of it, he says something on the order of, um, this might make you uncomfortable. I kind of hope it does, because we need to notice the small things that we do that contribute to the problem and that's the only way that we're going to grow, something along those lines. And I just thought it was poignant. I think you skipped a little bit uh, in the explanation. Sure. I, I, from my reading, what actually happened is, is that uh, uh, the organizers of the event made a statement uh, they've, that they've decided to cancel the event as a time for self-reflection. Yes. Um, and then several people who had resigned from the event went public. Yes, yes, um, yes. It, that's, that, is a, that is a more detailed um, list of the events, and I think, that, yeah, I think you're absolutely right to include that because that does shed a little more light on Eric Lang's statement, which I think is, is particularly... You know, I'm curious about this as well from another aspect of just... Uh, not to take away from that, obviously, that's extremely important, but like, I'm shocked that there are any kind of conventions happening what with the virus i mean oh, what was it going to be online convention. online sorry jake oh, i i, I, oh, I should oh, have i, I should have I stressed was sitting that. here thinking like these people are insane <laughs> if they're gonna go no they canceled the they canceled the live convention quite a while ago but they were planning oh, okay. a, a rather large online convention to take that its makes place so much more sense and now that has been canceled as well and i just want to say to to everyone out there uh, not everyone that listens to this podcast is is in our facebook group in our facebook group we made a very prominent statement that Black Lives Matter and we went into some detail as to why that was and we said if, if you feel uncomfortable about this please unfriend us and, and leave and actually um, we got at least one response that, that, that somebody did that response however wasn't I don't believe that Black Lives Matter it was I believe Black Lives Matter very much um, but I don't like any group and I don't want to be a part of any group that uh, you know, traffic's in exclusion like that. And uh, we respected that very much, but we also said at this time, we think that this is the right statement for us. We have uh, two of our Game Brain members are are black and they have talked uh, eloquently about how that has impacted uh, their lives, their lives in this hobby, and about how... Uh, we as a society, it is un- so unbelievably overdue for us to do better. And so we need to. So we, we just want to say flat out that uh, that we support Black Lives Matter and we are very, very hopeful about uh, the time that we are going through that through this tumult that something better will come from it. And we very much hope so. Well said. Should we move on to, uh, to our next item? We got, Let's do it. We got, we got two quick ones here. There's a Disney Jungle Cruise game that is coming out right now. Um, it is 
It is by Prospero Hall. Prospero Hall did Jaws. That was our first entree into them. Then they did Top Gun. Then they did The Shining. Then they did... Hmm. Uh, then Back they, to the Future. Back to the Future, exactly. Now they've done Jungle Cruise, and they also have something in stores right now, which is Wonder Woman, Challenge of the Amazons. And I just have to say, I just have to sort of applaud Prospero Hall. They have found a little niche. Now, I look at the Jungle Cruise game, and it is beautifully produced, just like Jaws is beautifully produced. They, these are well-done games. Their graphic design is probably some of the best in the industry. They're just, they, they, don't, uh, they, they seem to be able to make games at a price point, so it's not gaudy right? But every little piece, every little, all the little artwork that's on the cardboard counters and things like that is just wonderfully thought out to convey that world and that setting and to put you into that place. Um, yeah, the boats are amazing. Aren't I they? Think that's my favorite bet. It was so good. Right? And, and the little... Yeah, no, the whole thing is great. I 100% agree. And th- that's a big thing for me. So, uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it is a very simple race game. It is has a, a good amount of luck in it. So in comparison to Jaws, uh, which I think actually is surprisingly solid as a game, and, and you know it's a, a super stripped down, super back-to-basics, hidden movement uh, deduction game. And I think it's great as far as that goes. Um, I think Top Gun's... Tr- tr- go ahead. Trey must hate it with the dice, right? I'm assuming. Um, Trey doesn't hate that game at all. Trey, Trey and I, when we came, oh, really? in, when we came back from BGG con, we, we, we were talking and we were like, so what was the surprise of the con? And we both looked at each other and one, two, three jaws. We both said jaws immediately. It was like, we were like, I couldn't believe how good that thing was. It's, it's available in target. It's this tiny little, little box. It's branded content, which never turns out well. And it was a joy. Top Gun is a joy. The the air combat is super rudimentary, but it's fun. It works. It makes sense. Um, these guys have really found a way to to create. This to me isn't really hobby games. What they're doing, what they're doing is, is they're taking aspects from hobby games and they're bringing them into mass market games. And mm. if kids, if your kid Jake, as he grows up, yeah. If instead of having to play, you know, Sorry or Candyland or or yeah. these sorts of games, if instead he has a whole list of Prospero Hall games that are still basic, they're still mass market games. They're not they're they're not deeply involved. They're not deeply complex, but they have just that little extra bit of thought that went to the design. That's a big. Yeah. That's a that's a great thing to possibly bring future people into the hobby. And even if they don't, just to elevate the level of, of gameplay in general. For me... That's I'm great. F- I mean, it says age eight and up, so he's not that far off. Right, he's close. Yeah. For, yeah. for me, on first impression, this kind of misses the boat uh, because... <laughs> <laughs> Boom! It, it, it's missing the humor. You, you know, the ride for me is about the jokes and being hit in the face with a blast from an elephant's trunk. Sure. Um, and I don't see jokes here. I see Jeopardy. I see uh, shifting around little cardboard chips in the board in the boat uh, to to 
um, lose cargo rather than passengers. I don't see hits of humor. Yeah. Well, if you want, when we play it, I can just do a spit take in your face. <laughs> just as long as you do it when I'm not expecting it. Okay. You got it. I mean, it says on the front cover, it says Jungle Cruise Adventure Game, A Voyage of Mystery and Misfortune. The word misfortune is interesting. It does, that does to me say a little tongue in cheek. And and by the way, um, I, I know people, we live in Southern California, so we have run into people that at one point or another were performers at Disneyland. And they improvise those jokes. And they they develop them. They develop their shtick. They don't improvise really because <laughs> they, they they do they do their thing, but they have their thing. But the get of the place, like the job you want, is you want to be the jungle cruise narrator. You want to be the the the, the person, the guide, uh, because mm-hmm. that is the you know that's that's the big stage right that's the that is the most performative role probably in the entire in the entire theme park and they see your face that's how you pick up the hot yes chicks. yes well no the, no the hot chicks is is the jack sparrows there is oh my there i don't know where it was it was it was on the internet but you have to check it out there was a, a story written by a guy that was a jack sparrow at at to Disneyland or Disney World, writing about what it, what a surreal existence it was that there would be these middle aged women that would get to the park, they'd be the first ones in the park, and they'd be the first ones on the Jack Sparrow line. They would get out of the line, go to the back of the line, and come through again, and they would do that five, six, seven times in the day, just so Jack Sparrow or this Jack Sparrow would 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 flirt with them would have fun with them they were they wow. were sort of living vicariously through that moment it's fascinating the the, the amount of little microcosms and little micro communities mm-hmm. that spring up in 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 this these kinds of theme parks in particular are astonishing and but there are also people who many, come back for peter pan is that right yeah. no, that was <laughs> just a very no. bad no. joke Dimitri says no not. Um, no, absolutely not. Yeah, so so the production value of Disney Jungle Cruise Adventure Game looks amazing. Can't speak to the gameplay. Don't know, but if you have kids that are around eight years old or so, I would seriously take a peek at this. It's it's kind of gorgeous, and I suspect that it will have humor in it. But I but Dimitri may be right. There is there is nothing in the outward presentation that 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 says for sure that it will capture any of that. But I hope that it very, I hope very much that it does. Uh, the other game, as we said, is Wonder Woman: Challenge of the Amazon. That is available right now at Target. Thirty five bucks. I, you know, I think they price these things pretty well too. I think they they find a, a price point that uh, that isn't punitive. Like I said, they keep the costs relatively low. They have a high value of of art for a relatively low cost because they're not adding mini- a lot of miniatures or a lot of uh, uh, pieces you're, uh, you know, that would jack the, the price The minis up. look good, though. I mean, they, they're, they're cool little bronze statues. I think they're pretty sweet. Aren't they? Yeah, I think they're pretty good. I mean, I don't know. They look all right. I, I, I can't see what they really look like. I don't know if it's plastic. I'm, I'm assuming it is, but uh, they look pretty cool. I think so. Yeah, I do. Uh, let's move on. Next up is a game called Monumental. Monumental is uh, by designer Matthew Dunstan, and it is uh, it's coming out this year. And it is it's a weird one. All right. So one of the first things you see is you see a tray full of miniatures, and I mean full of miniatures, tons and tons and tons of them. 
And then we find out that in Monumental, you're going to control a civilization that's going to involve that's going to evolve. You've got a grid of three by three cards that can be activated to gather resources like science, military, production, culture, gold. And when you activate them, you trigger uh, uh, several actions. So when I think about that, it's like this is a card drafting game. That's what this is. This is not a miniatures game. There is a miniature aspect. You, there is battle between different civilizations and stuff like that. But this is actually a fairly simple uh, card drafting game with all of these other bits are, around it. Like it, it's, yeah, you know what I got to say, the miniatures look pretty dope. I'm, I'm super into it. Oh, like, yeah. Just based on what I'm seeing, yeah. I'm looking through these pictures and... I don't know. I'm immediately drawn in. That's okay. a visual stimulant. Uh, they got me. Cool. This reminds me of Tapestry uh. without the achievement tracks. Tapestry also has a bunch of hexagons in the middle with armies that or civilizations that could advance against each other. Mm. Tapestry also has cards with achievements and resources. Um, and this seems to be a lot like that, but eliminating the uh, advancement tracks where you receive points uh, by advancing your technologies. Gotcha. You lost me a tapestry, but <laughs> um, listen, I, here's the thing. It, it, it has all these miniatures. It has all this stuff. And then you look at the details of it and it's one to four players. 90 to 120 minutes. So short for that type of game. And but it's really three hours, Tom. I don't believe it is. My understanding is is that it is not that it plays pretty much in you know. Oh, that in, would be unusual because most games yes. deliberately underestimate uh, mm -hmm. the playing times. Almost all of them do. But uh, Tom Vassell was talking about this game, and and he said, yeah, it doesn't play that far off of uh, off of its estimated time, and the weight is only two point six nine. So. Um, it, this may be one. I think of those... I would love this one. I think this one is one, is one in my wheelhouse for sure. You, tell you me might. how you know that. Uh, other okay, than I can the tell you exactly how I know that. First of all, I, I, I happen to love miniatures. I think it draws me in. I like the I like the aspect of that a lot. I like that. Um, I like the board and the pieces that put together and the, the randomness of that. I like that a lot. I don't know. It's it's reminding me of things that I've played that I've liked, and uh, there, there's something about that it's a little world right in front of you, and it's not so abstract in your mind. Okay. So, yeah. So, so you tangibility. Feel like, yeah, you feel like the civilization. Exactly. You feel like the civilization is actually in your eyes, and you can see it happening. Yeah. Yes, and you can pick up your character and move him around, him or her, and uh, uh, yeah, Th this one is speaking to me. I mean, of course, I haven't played it, obviously. But let's, uh, let's put a pin in that because that is going to be something that we're going to want to come back to in our discussion of how to know a game is not for you, because yeah, you're, you're stating fair. very clearly what makes a game for you, so that this is a good counterpoint. So let's keep let's keep that in mind. Um, yeah, my, my take on Monumental is that I think it might be a, a little bit of a bait and switch. It looks mm. like a a bigger, heavier, meatier game than it may actually be. That it that it may actually be a euro that is masquerading as a big basher, and not even a heavy euro, sort of a very medium weight euro. We will see. We will see what it ends up being. And but, that is something I will be talking about. Oh, 
look at that. Mm. Next up, we have a game that is uh, due to come out in 2021 called The Night Cage. Uh, designer is Christopher Ryan Chan, Chris McMahon, and Roswell Saunders. Roswell Saunders. Uh, put out by Smirk and Laughter Games. Um, this is where you put a bunch of medieval knights into a cage and they <laughs> fight it out between them. N-I-G-H-T, not K-N-I-G-H-T. Eventually we're going to evolve the language out of that little mistake. Uh, but the knight cage is, uh, first of all, the box cover is astonishing. It is one of the more yeah, arresting. It's pretty bo- spooky. Isn't that great? It is it's a, pretty spooky. I, I immediately, yeah, no thanks. It is a black box cover with a hand holding up a candle that is kind of dripping down over the hand. And the like light, a lot and ominously. Yes, and the light from that candle is barely extending out far enough to just barely illuminate the words the night cage. So very arresting. And there's like a bunch of scary hands coming just out of the shadows at you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah this is spooky. Yeah, it's good art. So this is a cooperative uh, horror themed tile placement game where one to five people are lost souls trapped within an unnatural labyrinth of eternal darkness to win this players. Is like must... how I feel right now in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, right, join the club. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rename the game 2020. Uh, the game is called 2020. Yeah. It is about uh, trying to yeah. escape a labyrinth of, labyrinth of eternal just darkness. To win players must holding collect... Holding my a... knees in close to my chest in the darkness, just scared. <laughs> <laughs> to win players must each collect a key, find a gate, and escape as a group. And on, so we can't theme it as 2020 because there is no escape. Um, and there is no group. <laughs> yeah, it's just us alone. Oh Lord, that's dark, Dimitri. What I find interesting um, about this game is ahead, sorry. no, no, no. It's okay. What I find interesting about this game is uh, how thematic, how theme indicates gameplay. Uh, in this case, everybody has a flickering candle, and that is uh, denoted by when wherever your character moves, you can only see the tiles the tile that's behind you, the tile that's to your left, to your right, and in front of you. Those are the only ones you can see. And after you move, let's suppose you move forward then. The tile that was behind you is discarded from the game. And now you can only see that tile that was right in front of you that you just moved onto, the one in front of that, and the one on the left, and the one on the right. If you were to back up, a new tile is drawn. The maze is eternally shifting. So there is no... There is no gradual revelation mm-hmm. of the map. The map is never knowable and is always in flux. Uh, which, that's cool. And now, I don't know if that's going to make a great game, right? I mean, I, ideally, I want to be gaining information and I want to be you know, gaining mastery over the course of a game. That Those, those are two things that, that tend to be very pleasing as a game experience. Um, but thematically, boy, oh boy, does that hit really hard, right? Uh, yeah, Tom, and the tile holder is like a candle. It gets smaller and smaller, it looks like. Yep. Uh, Tom Chick, so that have ties you, in nicely. Have you ever seen a horror movie called The Cube? I love no. Cube. It's just called Cube. Yes. Oh, Cube. Yes. Uh, Jake, have you seen it? No, I have not. I stay away from horror movies on purpose. It's not really a horror movie. It's really, it's really sort of a paranoid sci-fi thriller. It's got a little bit of a horror element. It is, it is a genius, genius, genius design of ultra low budget filmmaking. Like they made such a great film on such a low budget. Dimitri, tell them, tell them the uh, gimmick. Yeah, uh, Cube is a bunch of cubes uh, that uh, are connected 
in space, uh, and uh, you go from one not in cu- space, in, in on Earth, uh, but yes, yes, in 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 volume. Yeah, a bunch of people uh, wake up and and they have no idea how they got here, but they're in this high tech cube with with walls and nothing else in it. And when they move from adjacent cube to adjacent cube, each cube has a special threat. They're identical except for the color of the walls, which is great okay. for a, great from a production standpoint, right? Because hey, yeah, change change the, the gels and and we're good. Yeah, right. Some of them are trapped. Right, Dimitri? Yeah. Uh, and it's a maze. Uh, and this game reminded me of Cube. Uh, Cube came out before escape rooms became popular. Uh, and I feel escape rooms were very much influenced, the idea, I- influenced by Cube. Oh, and yeah. This game, I really wanted to be a Cube game the way that Jaws is a Jaws game. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, uh, you could you could retheme this as Cube and go really far. But the idea of playing with darkness, I, I think, is kind of interesting. There was a um, a kids game, uh, Der Nick de, de Magier. Uh, it means the Night of the Magician, and it's a, this this German game. And the notion is this: there are all of these dark, dark blue discs. And then there are a few discs, and, and they're all in kind of a, a, a tray, as it were. And then there are a few discs that have markings on them. And those markings you put under a light for a half an hour or so. What they're doing is they're charging up and they glow. So, mm-hmm. And the entire game is played in the dark. And essentially the way it is is you have a pusher. And when it is your turn to go, you are trying to get your symbol, which is glowing out at you, in this pitch black room to go a certain way and to a certain place. But the only way you do that is by pushing on the edges of this thing. And so all of these circular black, you know, dark blue discs that you can no longer see are creating unusual combinations and movements. And you can't always a hundred percent predict the way things are going to move. Uh, You know, listen, it's a very simple game. It's kind of a dexterity game, kind of a kid's game, a little bit of a puzzle game. Uh, But, the experience of playing that with my kids, uh, uh, you know, turning the lights out and seeing that thing glow and then just the thematic mm-hmm. of it. Uh, I really remember loving that. And if this, you know, this is the kind of game that I would, that I would, that if it's any good, I would consider playing when, you know, couples night, couples come over and something like that. We just turn the lights out. We put a f- light, a few candles. Light some candles. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just to try and make it a little bit of an experience. Maybe. Couple, just see where the night goes. Night. You don't know. Couples night. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I think Jake, Jake and I went to the same place there. We did, but that's because we're very the same that way. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a return. Seven years ago was the last time there was a Charles S. Roberts Award. Um, Charles S. Roberts was the founder of Avalon Hill. Avalon Hill was, before Euro Games, was the one-stop shop for all hobby games. Uh, basically almost every great game that existed before Settlers of Catan came into existence was dominated by one company, and that is Avalon Hill. They did Civilization. They did Advanced Civilization. They did Acquire. They did Diplomacy. They did Kremlin. They did Junta. Uh, no, they didn't do Junta. But they did tons and tons of amazing games uh, from that era, including tons and tons of war games, because back then... Uh, hobby games were 
80-90% war games. And mm. uh, so this is an award that goes all the way back to the very first Origins. The gaming convention that we just said was the online version of was canceled this year. Uh, Origins started in 1975, and this uh, gaming award goes all the way back to them. But they canceled it recently. Well, guess what? It is up again. They're starting it up again, and uh, you can vote on their website. So just Google Charles S. Roberts Awards, and why not vote? Here's the thing. The focus is war games. So if you are not a grognard, you might not have any interest in this. If you are a grognard, by all means, go. Make your voice heard. It's going to be important. But guess what? Not all of these are strictly war games. These are... Uh, a lot of these games could be war game adjacent. So the blood rages of the world and things like that could very much uh, count in those categories. And war gaming has bisected. There are people that are still playing hardcore war games just the way they did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But there has been a Euroization of a certain aspect of, of war games that is ongoing. And, uh, we might want to get in there and and um, make a vote for some things if you know if there are things that are appropriate for those kinds of awards. I can think of some titles that I would love to put up. Yeah, the non gamer and the casual gamer. Nothing to say about that. Fine. <laughs> yeah, it's just like all right. No, <laughs> I I, uh, I enjoy how one of the awards is for uh, a great game of the last five years, uh, and it's intended uh, to ha- to recognize uh, not the current hotness necessarily, but something that is anticipated to have lasting value and a lasting effect yeah well it's also that this award hasn't existed for seven years so they're like well it'd be horrible if we were if we didn't acknowledge the fact that for all of these years we didn't we didn't even have anything and all those games are just out of luck but uh yeah i'm, I'm glad that that's there too that's really the award that i'm most interested in, yeah, in voting on. me too yeah that sounds great. Um, on Kickstarter news, there is a, a game called Fire Tower. It actually came out in 2018, and they have done a reprint and a Rising Flames expansion on Kickstarter. It had a $8,000 goal. Come on. Really? You really were expecting only to make $8,000? It has raised $93 million, and it has this big banner that says, Funded in Six Minutes. I'm really, mm-hmm. get, I'm really getting annoyed by this. I'm Ninety-three million? No, ninety-three thousand. Okay. Did I say million? You did say million. <laughs> the kind of uh, hmm. ninety-three thousand um, dollars. Look, I'm, I'm glad that uh, Sam Bryant and Gwen, Gwen Rule uh, have, have made it with this. I, I'm glad that they're getting all of that money. I, I do get a little annoyed when I see artificially low goals on Kickstarter for the purposes of being able to put a banner saying funded in, in six minutes, five minutes. That said, I also get it. You're, you're an independent publisher and you have got to market the heck out of this thing. And if the rules say you can do that, do that. That's fine. As far as fire tower, you can't hate the player. You can only hate the game, right? I mean, they're, they're working. Who said that Jake? Who said that? I just said that. You said that. that All right, fine. Sounds I think good. Trump said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, I think it was a police chief in Florida. Um, Fire Tower is about uh, about forest fires. You are going to play up to four people can play, and you are manning a fire watch tower, watching these fires spread. You are drawing cards that you will be able to use to fight that fire. 
So you're going to try to, you know, douse it with water or there's, sometimes there's going to be wind chains. There will be occasionally some really, really bad cards like Firestorm, which suddenly the fire just rages out of control. And it's not just that you're trying to put out the fire collectively. You're actually trying to drive the fire toward the other players' towers. So oh, that's not so bad then. Yeah, it's kind of cute. It's kind of interesting. Um, I, I, I've heard good things. I heard that it's a, uh, that it's a pretty fun game. It's won, it, it's won some awards. It, it looks good. I think the, the look of it is, is quite pleasing, actually. I think it's a really decent design. Interesting. So the only thing I want to say about it is that this is a game that plays in about a half an hour. That's it. That's it. It's a filler game. It's a light, light game that... 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and you're done. You're, you're, you're out of there. It shouldn't, take, it shouldn't take longer than that. So to charge $42 for the base game plus $19 for the expansion, I don't know. It feels, you know, I look at Pros- Prospero Hall and I, I, I look at Jungle Cruise at 32 bucks now. They're doing a mass market thing. I totally get that that's different. I totally know that independent publishers, their prices are much higher because they're not getting volume discounts and so on and so forth. And they don't have cozy relationships with various producers and all that sort of stuff. That said, um, I have seen indie games that are priced a lot better than, than this. And essentially $60 for a filler game just doesn't feel quite right to me. Fire yeah. Tower has those exquisitely carved and painted flames in 3D that you can play with. I don't know. They just look like little bits of plastic to me. I don't want to ever put another person's hard work down. But are, like, are you talking just about the judging Hawks? this? The, the, I'm just looking at this thing. I thought and they I'm were like just little immediately flames. Not that. <laughs> Dimitri thought that they were flames. No, those the flames are the uh, are the crystal cube things. Are those I cr- like the crystal cube. I think things. they look great. I think they're great. And by the way, those were the original. Yeah. Those were the original. No, there are hawks in this one, and there are custom hawk meeples. And yes, they're red, so they look like fire. So. I get the confusion. Uh, it looks like something that would go at the bottom of a fish tank. Oh, the the the, so the little cubes. The fire, yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Just, it kind uh, of is. It kind of is. Um, guys, do you want to hear the game that I am most excited about in 2020? Yes, so much so. The game that I am most excited about in 2020. It doesn't even have. There's not even a single piece of artwork on its Board Game Geek page. But there was just a post. Not by somebody who worked with the designer. And the designer is the one, the only, Martin Wallace. Martin Wallace is deep into designing Anno 1800. Now, the Anno series, there were previous board games of that. And then they crossed over to video games. And the video games, uh, Jennifer is a huge fan of Anno 1800. She says it is this vast... Euro game that's a PC only video game that is wonders and you can play it for days, weeks, months and not get to the end of what you can do. There are tech trees and there are trading and it's it's astonishingly well put together and well designed and great Euro mechanics. Well, they t- chose Martin Wallace now to design the board game version of it. And a guy named Stephen Hearn, who worked with Martin a little bit, I think he essentially was the video game consultant now that uh, Martin is living in Australia. 
and uh, the the game company that makes the video game didn't have anybody down there. So he's sort of their representative to just talk to Martin about you know the design decisions that went into the video game so that he can adapt it right. And he has been uh, ranting about how amazing Martin's work has been, saying that you know if you like brass, if you like uh, Feast for Odin this is a game that feels like those games. This is one of those games that he said some of the mechanics that Martin Wallace has come up with to bridge the gap between video game and board game, he said, are things that are so astonishing to him that we may be seeing repetition of that mechanism in lots and lots of other products. Now, listen, this is one voice in the wilderness, but uh, this gives me a lot of hope because I've heard great things about 1800 Anno and I would love, love, love to have a chance to play it. But guess what? I'm on a Mac and uh, it's not available on a Mac and it's not available on a console. So it's one of these great games that I just don't really have access to. And if Martin Wallace is going to bring me his version of that, I'm all in, guys. I'm all in. Hmm. I just read War and cool. Peace with Maddie. That's from that same time period that takes place in 1805 to 1812-14. There you go. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, game is, yeah. Uh, this game is one of those things where you start off with all of these project cards. Uh, and the project cards are things you want to accomplish in the game. And that also is the clock of the game. It's, your, it's, your, it's how you're going to win the game, but it's also the clock of the game because the first person to be out of these project cards ends the game. And some of these look at the beginning of the game to be impossible. Like, oh my God, this thing needs five different resources and three of those resources can't even be created until eight other different resources need to have been created first. Like you can't make a watch until you make this and you can't make this until you've made that and so on and so forth. And so each player is slowly building up their tech trees as it were. And there is trading in the game. So when somebody creates the next thing and you know you need that thing, you trade for it, you get it, and you leapfrog that to make the next thing in order. And uh, it, it sounds it sounds so much up my wheelhouse. You know what it sounds like it's really for, though, more than anybody? Elder. Elder talks about how, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, I want a resource management game, and if it doesn't have at least 17 resources, I'm or not interested. 40 or, yes. Exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. I think Elder is going to go crazy for this game when it comes out, and I really can't wait. I think that's a great I'm like insight. the complete other end of the spectrum for that one. <laughs> like, I think, I, I'm yeah. firmly representing the guy way out on the other end of that line being like, I, I can't even. The same reason I wouldn't play like Red Dead Redemption, you know, the new one where you have to do 10 hours of work just to brush your horse. You know what I mean? Like I just, it's too much. I totally get that. And it may be, it may be, but I will say. For me, for uh, me too much. And maybe. Not in general. I'm sure it's brilliant. Or maybe not. Because Martin, or maybe not. Yeah, right. Well, no, no, because, because Martin Wallace doesn't, Martin Wallace doesn't make inaccessible games. He makes punishing games. He makes difficult games, but he doesn't make inaccessible games. His games are all, they all come in at a reasonable length of time. They don't take like crazy long to play. And the, the, the way the explanation of the game, it's not it's not Vittal Lacerda. It's not my brain is broken before I even get to start playing it. I love Vittal Lacerda. Absolutely adore him, as you probably heard last week. But 
his games are on the Baroque side. Martin Wallace's are not. Martin Wallace designs engines that you can grok, that you can get, mm-hmm. and that you can and, and that you can apply. And it's in the application of those where things start to get a little tricky. So maybe it's not going to be quite as bad for you as you think. That said, right. uh, Jake, I can't remember playing a Martin Wallace game with you. There's probably a reason there. It's it might yeah. it might not be your bag. We'll see. It's well, probably not, but I'm always down to try something new. So, dude, I'm I'm gonna come up with the Martin Wallace game for you. I'm not uh, sure what Jake, it is. Jake, you've never played Age of Steam, the railroad mm, game. I know we've. I've obviously heard uh, everyone talk about it, but to be fair, I can't remember if I have or not. I don't think he ever has. I think he's played an 18xx. I, but I, I, I may don't not think, have, <laughs> but I don't think he's played that. Last in the news, a uh, bit of good news uh, from our community's standpoint anyway. Uh, the indie video game community has done a little something for Black Lives Matter. Itch.io, which is a, a great organization for indie video game designers, has put together a bundle for racial justice and equality, uh, which is amazing. If you go to itch.io, you will find it. They are advertising it heavily. Um, you can buy 1,600 different items for just five bucks. That's normally over $9,000. You're saving 99%. Of course, it is not just pay five bucks. It's contribute however much you like. You must contribute at least five bucks. The average contribution right now is over $10. And there have been 580,000 contributors. They were going for $5 million. They thought it was ambitious. They've already raised over $6 million, every penny of which is going to go in a 50-50 split to, let me see, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund and the Community Bail Fund, which is really, really important. It's, it is the organization that is bailing uh, protesters out, and when there are not protests going on, is making sure that uh, people who should not be spending nights in jail do not spend nights in jail. It's a, a fantastic. That's, amazing. That's Fan- so amazing. Isn't it? Isn't it? It really is. It's like giving me goosebumps a little bit. It's really awesome. Uh, my, f- my, my friend who is a rock star in the indie video game community, Tracy Fullerton, who Dimitri knows, uh, yes. it, it, her game Walden is, uh, is there. I'm just gonna plug that right here. Walden, like I would pay, I would pay ten bucks just for Walden. Walden is astonishing. It is a game that is based on Henry David Thoreau's On Walden Pond, and it is just a walking simulator experiential game that teaches you the principles of transcendentalism. <laughs> it has won, it has won so many awards. It's uh, Tracy has to buy a new house to build a place to put all the awards that she has won for this game. It it is absolutely amazing. There are tons and tons of amazing games. You're getting how many games? Oh my God. It's, it's unbelievable. 1,600 different indie games. I could, man, if you are sitting at home and you're wondering what to do next, get on this bundle, get these games, start just checking them out, check out one or two a day and you are going to find gems. You're going to find things that you absolutely love and adore. I highly recommend that you do that. I'm just looking at uh, 100% agreeing. I'm just looking after you said that at some of the screen grabs from Alden, and like I want to play it immediately. Oh, it's it's incredible! It's it incredible. Looks bananas, amazing. She yeah. is a, she is a genius, and she's doing amazing things. She is a, she is yeah, one of, one of the one of the head honchos at the uh, USC School uh, for Video Game Design. She's she, she runs the games program there, uh, or one of the 
people that runs the games program there. And she is amazing. Yeah, I'm doing this. It's really cool. Um, and uh, I think Trey uh, was involved there for a little bit. I think uh, when he got his... Uh, um, uh, Reagan Library. Yeah, Trey had through there. Yeah, Trey. Trey went and talked with them, and Trey had them come. I was actually, I actually participated in that particular event where the people from the uh, from the game school came over and did Trey's uh, situation room experience at the Reagan mm. Library, and it was a it was really great fun meeting all of them and seeing how they interacted with a live action uh, video game essentially, and uh, uh, the way their brains worked. It was fantastic. It was a, a really great. experience experience um and again next up how can we resist it games on the brain alfred said he's going to change this tune we'll see but for now what we have this games games <laughs> on the brain these are games we like to play these are games stuck on our brains oh baby oh can't wait to see what alfred wants to do to that uh, i don't know why you would ever change that it's just so so good. <laughs> uh, what's on what's on your what's on your game brain, Jake? Is there anything on your game brain, Jake? You could be oh, you could be honest with us. Brain. Uh, for me, I've been really just doing some escapism kind of games. Like I'll log mm-hmm. into Xbox and just run around in another world, whether it be a fantasy game, like I mentioned, Neverwinter, or some sci-fi thing that just doesn't doesn't really tax my brain at all. Like I haven't played any, except for with you on game night, I haven't done anything that uses any kind of like processing power. Yeah. Cause I'm just using every neuron to, you know, just focus on my family and, and keep a straight face and a smile in these, in these crazy times. I hear you. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. I am playing less games than average for our group. Our group is is out there and they're playing games quite, mm-hmm. quite frequently. And for me, it's just been harder. Now, part of it is is that my kids are in high school and they're trying to finish up their high school virtually, which is tricky. Yikes. And it kind of puts a strain on the whole family. And I'm playing these games. I, I go out on my uh, on my uh, balcony and I'm sitting out there playing the games, which is nice because it's been hot in Southern California. It's nice having a cool night. Um, but... It is one of these things where frequently, I think we talked about it last week or the week before, you know, uh, all of a sudden my daughter needs me and, you know, I can see yeah. you, I can see you through the glass, dad, come in, <laughs> help yeah. me. And I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> right. I got to go for a second. And I'm finding I'm not able to immerse myself like I, uh, like I normally want to. And I, I guess I'm in uh, uh, kind of like you a little bit. I'm in a, in a phase right now where I'm not as into my uh, my my gameplay as I want to be. But when I'm not playing games, mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm still thinking about games roughly the same amount. Dimitri, what about you? What are you thinking about these days? Uh, right, I've been thinking about party games like uh, Bandwidth and Times Up and One Word. Do you mean wavelength? Uh, thank you so much, wavelength. Yeah. Uh, and, and and for me, they're games about messaging. Yes. Uh, the games where a community uh, messages a person or a, a person messages a community mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there's a narrow, very narrow bandwidth uh, through that through which that message has to pass. There's a punitive restriction. Yes. Uh, and for me, there are like two applications about that. Mm. There's mediation, mm. uh, a, a very interesting and very successful process uh, to resolve a conflict between two parties uh, where the mediator edits very heavily what the parties say to each other 
in order to promote the resolution of of of, of, the, of a dispute. Are uh, they are they're, they're stripping out emotional language? I'm guessing, and they're they're boiling things down to their sort of essential points and t- trying to identify their their core needs. Absolutely, uh, and I think. Um, you know, to expand that that a little bit. I think this is what's happening right now in the country Hmm. where uh, the protests are really boiling down the message to Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. defund the police. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that narrow, that restriction uh, can actually promote dispute resolution, where it's almost to me like the public is serving uh, as a mediator uh, with these very focused, very simple messages that promote dispute resolution uh, b- between... Dimitri, under- let me just ask you how, how do you, how do you mediate between two sides where one side just seems so obvious and right and true, and the other is just so obviously wrong and hateful and insane. Well, I don't think the mediation is happening between the hateful and insane side. I think the mediation by the community is happening between people in power, mm-hmm. which have all sorts of interests, uh, and people out of power. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, the people in power are racist and non-racist and a whole bunch of people who can make a change but need to be motivated to do so. And, and for me, party games where it is about trying to guess what uh, is your knowledge of the situation, what, how can I craft the message so it would break through the noise, so it wouldn't cause confusion, like one word or a phrase that 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 mm. that would point to um, uh, the idea that I want to instill in you. Uh, uh, it it does make there is to, for me a confluence there uh, because finally Black Lives Matter. Finally, people are getting it. You know, finally, people are getting what it means. It took two years, uh, mm-hmm. maybe longer, mm-hmm. but people are getting it uh, in, in, in a very interesting way. Somebody crafted that message to break through the noise. Well, certainly the... the I hope you're right, Dimitri. Certainly the, the big argument over the NFL protests from a few years ago, and now all of a sudden we're seeing a huge retreat from the, the side that was decrying those. And now a lot of people are saying, no, that, that was... That was a very respectful protest. Now you know, and 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 we should have recognized that, and we were uh, mistaken to to not do so. So, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, Dimitri. I think that I, I hope that we can boil things down to be able to to talk plainly and to state what we absolutely need, because there is a lot of things that uh, the most vulnerable in our country need desperately. And the quicker and plainer that we can talk about that, hopefully we can get through to those in power and start to make changes. So thank you for that. Mm. Um, moving on to the 8 by 8 challenge. Um, looking at the games that, we, that I just went over, all those different games that we played, <laughs> um, I don't see any of those that are on the 8 by 8 challenge. So I think we are, uh, we're out of luck on that one. But that does bring us to the Game Brain... 
Game Brain Top 50 Games. We are now down to number 30. We're going from number 30. Uh, 35 to 30 is what we're doing. Um, number 35, War of the Ring. The classic. Uh, just an astonishing game. Uh, Jesse and Matt both put it on their list. How could you not? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. Um, have either of you guys ever played it? It's a two to three player game. Nope. Really, it should just be a two player game. Uh, it's a war game. It's a war. It's a war game, but it's so good and it tells the story so well. Um, yeah, I own the original. I think the second edition is the one that everyone prefers. It's uh, it, it's better. It's it's cleaned it up a little bit. Uh, it's the ring of the, the Nibelungen. No, no, it's not that. Not the Wagner's ring cycle. No. No, it's not that, Dimitri. There was another ring. There was a famous ring in literature. Uh, you know, books. You should read them sometime, and maybe you'd find out what that is. Uh, no arguments there. Absolutely classic. Uh, number 34, Twa. And when we say Twa, I always want to say, spelled T-R-O-Y-E-S, or as some people know it, Troy's. Twa is uh, one of those first dice placement games ever, one of the first games to really innovate how uh, dice can be used in some very, very interesting ways. Uh, like Lorenzo and, and uh, uh, the, oh, what, what was that game that we, like Lorenzo. Yes, yeah. Uh, you thinking Marco Polo? And uh, I, I'm another, also thinking uh, that uh, a game where dice are used to recruit people and collect cards. Black Angel? No, uh, oh, Trey reviewed it as in, in the second episode. I'll remember it. Okay. I, I should have looked That's this fine. up. No big deal. Um, yeah, Twa is one of the classics of our industry. It is, it, you know, the fact that it only made it 34 just says how rich our industry is because it is amazing. Both Alfred and, of course, Matt put it on their list. Number 33, On Mars, the newest from Vittle Lacerda, makes it onto the charts at 33, uh, which is Probably right. We haven't played it enough to really continue to vault it up the charts, but it's it's an amazing game and, and might even go higher. That dice placement game I was trying to re- remember is Coimbra. Oh, Coimbra. There you go. There you go. Uh, number 32, Food Chain Magnate. How is Food Chain Magnate only number 32? How is it not in the top 10? Where did I put it? I put it in my top three. Matt put it in his top 10. And nobody else voted for it? What is with you people? Holy cow. I will cow. be discussing it in my how to tell when a game is not for you. <laughs> and then number 31, the classic, the grandfather, the game that began a whole trend, Hansa Teutonica, 31. Uh, we had votes from Ben. We had votes from Jennifer on that one. Um, we can't give you number 30 because there were two games that tied at 29, and so we will give that to you next week. And that was the Game Brain Top 50. Uh, moving on to the review. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about Elfenland. Elfenland came out all the way back in 1998. Do you realize in this hobby how old that is? That's three years after Settlers of Catan came out. It's before most people had ever even heard of Settlers of Catan. It was before Puerto Rico 
came out. It was before Agricola came out. It's before any of that stuff. It's amazing. Eleanor Moon is the designer. As we know, he went on to greatness with Ticket to Ride. Um, Doris Mathouse is the artist. And the publisher, the publisher that we know the best, is Rio Grande Games. Um, I'll give the setup for it. We are elves living in a magical kingdom. And the magical kingdom has got different terrains to cross. And there are 20 different... Uh, fortresses, towns, villages, whatever you want to call them, settlements. There are 20 settlements across the Elfenland, and it is your goal to try and visit as many of those as you possibly can over four rounds of the game. Jake, will you tell us how we go about visiting these villages? What are the uh, what are the mechanisms sure. and obstacles? Yeah, no, it's 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 not so complex actually. You're um... There's certain hidden information each character, each player, I should say, has um, a a certain randomly selected group of, uh, for lack of a better word, just like types of modes of transport. And then there are known information where you draft matching sort of areas that you can travel through with those um, cards. And you, you, you go in turns placing out the, the tokens um, along the roads all over this map mm. in hopes to create a path that will work with the cards that you are privately holding. And, you know, the, the, the trick is to both get as far as you can by placing them in the best spots for your, your own movement, but also to keep in mind what the other players have and what they might drop. And you might not get to mail the road you want to, because, of course, you don't just get to put all yours down in a row. You go in a turns. Um, it's, it's, it seems simple, but there's a, lot, there's a lot going on there. I mean, I, I only just played it the one time, but I instantly saw that this is definitely a game for me. Absolutely. It, it, it's interesting because you have a hand of cards that you're dealt each round, right? And there are, how many different types of transportation are there, Dimitri? I think there's probably around seven or eight types, right? Unicorn, dragon, troll cart, um... Elf, wind, 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 like uh, clouds. Elf cycle, mm-hmm. elf cycle. Boat, a or boat. raft, and um, the pig. The yes, the pig. yeah, and some are like optimized yeah. for certain zones, so Ex- that you're you know trying to move through the forest. There's going to be one that moves through it better than another. Correct, and some can't move through it at all. The dragon is yeah. pretty amazing because the dragon can go everywhere except on water and it only takes one dragon card to go over any type of terrain except forests because they get a little they get a little bunched up in the forest so they have yeah, to so use two, dragon two dragons meanwhile unicorns can gallop daintily across plains uh and forests but have difficulty they break their ankles and have to be put down in mountain passes i actually Yikes. think that that uh that unicorns can't go in planes because we had an argument about this. They they can't go in like, Why can't they go in planes? I think because they because they don't want to be seen. Oh, they're mysterious creatures. Yes. Oh, I see. They're they're in the shadows uh, and they have to be hidden by the canopy. Trolls, meanwhile, can go pretty much anywhere, but it takes a, a a lot of them. Yeah, it takes two two cards for the trolls to get just about anywhere. They're big lumbering beasts. Not being racist, um, like me. <laughs> no, big lumbering Dimitri. beasts. Like no, me. 
No. Um, no, you're like a dainty unicorn. But it's not just those cards, right? Because you also have to draft tiles. You start off with one tile face down that nobody knows about, and then you are going to uh, choose from five face-up tiles, and then those tiles are what you're going to place down on the roads and paths of Elfinland. Mm-hmm. And if there is no tile... Totally match up with your cards. Correct. If there's no tile that's on a road, guess what? It's impossible. You can't go that way. Yeah. And if there's a tile on, yeah. on a road that you desperately need to go down and you don't have a card of that type, guess what? You have to spend three cards to travel down that. Any three cards to travel down that road that you do not have the proper cards mm-hmm. to traverse. Very punitive. And this is the classic, uh, Jake, as you mentioned, uh, uh, decision that you have to make. Do you go where everybody else is going mm-hmm. and hope that the tiles they lay down match the cards that you have? And this way, you don't have to use your own tiles and you can draft off of them. Mm-hmm. But the danger, of course, is that they will lay down a cloud tile and you don't have any cloud cards and you're going to have to spend three of yours to go. So maybe you should go your own way. Uh uh, the uh, uh, Gaia project has kind of a, a bit of a similar mechanic it where does. Uh, if you build next to someone, you can get uh, goodie points off of them, but they may interfere with you in bad ways. Mm. It's, it's an unpredictable choice that uh, gives uh, an unexpected spin that you can game or not game successfully. Yeah, and it, it's what's well. I will it? say in our in our playthrough, the two top, the the first and second winners stayed basically along the exact same path, whereas I went off on my own way and was it did not pan out super great for me. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation because ideally, like it, it, the most points you could get in a round are eight, and that would be spending one card eight times in a row, and mm-hmm. each time. Each, t- each time hitting a new town and collecting the mm-hmm. cylinder f- of your color from that tile. That would be a perfect eight-point hand. And you can't do that alone because you only have four or five tiles to put down. Now, there is one exception to that, which is water. Raft cards are used on the water, and it works this way. Downriver, because the rivers have arrows on them, downriver costs one card to travel downriver. Two cards to travel upriver, two cards to travel across lakes. So it is theoretically mm-hmm. possible that you could go your own way and move eight and, and get eight points. It would mean you are placing your tile on the places that are not rivers, and then you're going downriver for the rest of the time. Super hard to do, unlikely to do. So really you're relying on the kindness of strangers and more to the point you're relying well, on I was just, what other oh, people ahead, have laid down. no no and more to the point you're relying on what other people have laid down but as dimitri pointed out sometimes that's going to bite you sometimes they're going to lay down the thing that you absolutely can't stand and that's where that's where the trick well, I was just going to yeah go ahead Jake. So, sorry sorry to no problem. To talk no, over no, no, you no. i was just going to say exactly in relation to what you were just saying about how to get that perfect move yeah. when we were playing this it, it occurred to me that you could play a version of this game as like co-op and and work together so that you all traveled together to get the best that you could all do interesting i i can tell you for a fact that that thought did not cross paul nor my mind <laughs> uh, well yeah but elves sure do not. co-ops but don't elves like each other basically i don't know all i'm saying is i when i was playing this i thought you know if we just opened up all of our information and made it full information and made it like 
how could we all best do this, that's definitely going to have a better outcome. Interesting. Because that brings up the other piece of the puzzle, which is the blocking tile. We each have one blocking tile Mm -hmm. in the game, so you can see that Alan Moon wasn't thinking about cooperation. He was thinking about competition. He was thinking about, uh, these are drow. These are the elves with the long knives. These are the the, the ones that want to kill you and worship a spider goddess. The blue skins. Exactly. These are these are these are bad dudes because you have a blocking tile that one time and one time only in the whole game you can put it down on another tile that has already been placed on the board and when you do that it now costs one more for somebody to travel over that stretch of land one more of whatever that particular resource is so if it was if it was a troll and it required two Yeah, you could play that option. I, when I played with the kids at home, that's optional. You yeah. could work together. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When I played at home with the kids, we do not play cooperatively, but we don't play with the blocking tile. We feel that that's like a bridge too far, and that's just going to hurt people's feelings. Too much gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, this is a game Paul gave to you, isn't that right? Okay, so he, the, you might ask the question: Why are you guys reviewing a game from twenty-two years ago? So. Here's the story. The story is um, Paul, got, Paul had a neighbor, and that neighbor got sick and passed away. And he and that neighbor connected through games. That neighbor had a fairly large collection of older games, hobby games. And Paul would talk to him often about what he's playing and what he's doing and all that sort of stuff. And then it was a real point of connection. So when he passed... Um, the, the man wanted Paul to take some of his collection with him. There were just a few selections. Uh, and Paul was kind enough to, uh, to gift a few of them. Like to, to Maddie, he gave a uh, deluxe edition of El Grande, an amazing game, one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, to me, he gave me two mint unpunched copies of the two Dune expansions from back in 78, uh, the, the Duel and uh, Spice Harvest. and uh, Super hard to find, super expensive and valuable. This is how you were able to speak about them with Trey when you reviewed the game, Precisely right? so, precisely so. And for himself, he took, a, 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 I think, more than one game. I think he took a few little little games. He didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to feel like he he was uh, raiding a, you know, raiding a crypt or anything like that. But he took a few games, and one of them was Elfenland. And when we started playing online, and he noticed, oh, hey, guess what? Board game arena. It's really easy to play all these games, and Elfenland's on it. Let's do it there. So we played it a, a, a couple times, and I said, this is a game you should review, Paul. And then I said, no, actually, Paul, <laughs> don't review that. I think Jake should review this. I think this is because this is that this is an old school game at the at, at the beginning of this Euro game hobby um, where games still had to be very accessible. And it is. It's very accessible. Right. And yet it is punishing it is. and strategic and challenging. It's 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 it packs a lot into a very simple rule set. Wouldn't you say, Jake? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I could tell right away, you know, I always feel like I can tell right away if it has depths that would take me multiple plays to even scratch the surface of. Mm -hmm. But that said, I still enjoyed it on my first go through. So what the people listening should hear here is a story about a game that's been around for over two decades that someone loved and played uh, many, many times with their friends. Uh, and then died, 
uh, passed on to other people who can love it. This is something you should consider. You know that that history, that story uh, of of a player uh, mm. who would play uh, every week mm-hmm. uh, on a game night uh, invited one of us um, and and continue to enjoy uh, a game, a fairly simple game in a social setting uh, that was also challenging uh, and involving and accessible. Um, for a long time this is an accessible challenging enjoyable replayable game totally agree totally agree now that said there are some people like uh ben mandelker who detest this game alfred said how much he hated it on just last episode yes he did yes he did why do people hate this game dimitri I know why I don't like this game. Okay. Uh, and for me, um, this is obviously a version of uh, the uh, salesman's dilemma, uh, wh- where it's a, f- it's a math problem in combinatorial mathematics that's been known since 1930. Uh, and it's the traveling salesman dilemma. The traveling salesman has to visit all these cities. Uh, and... Uh, it's been proven that that game has no algorithm, that it just has to be solved. Uh, to, to see what the optimal route is, you have to solve every route. Has it been proven? Yes. It has been proven? It, has it, been it, proven. Hasn't, just, it hasn't just not been solved yet? No, no. It has been proven okay. that this is something called an NP-hard mathematical problem. Uh, and is, that like, be, is that related to the N plus one uh, issue? Not sure. Okay. Not sure. I, I don't think so. It's okay. NP-hard. Like, the basic NP-hard problem is uh, take a random set of integers, like a billion integers, mm. positive and negative. Mm. Uh, what is the optimal number of integers that add up to zero from that set? Right. Uh, and can you even take a set, subset of integers that add up to zero from that set? The only way to solve that is individually is there's, individually there's no there's no uh, there, there's no master uh, um, equation that is going to there's solve no master every equation time. that's right. called np hard humans have and pigeons interestingly enough have intuitions about the traveling salesman dilemma we we have certain heuristics uh, li- like convex hull and non intersection that allow us to come very quickly to like a, a 1% optimal solution mm. uh, but getting the perfect solution we have to go through all the iterations now, all right I'm, I, anybody, guess, I think i'm gonna have to answer the question of of why these guys don't like this game because i don't think you're ever getting there i am getting there <laughs> this is a game that is so obviously based on math mm. uh, and uh it's perfect right it's unsolvable but it's just within our grasp this is something people were discussing on Discord, mm-hmm. that the game has to be just slightly beyond our ability to get a perfect solution. Mm-hmm. And here, um, uh, the designer said, oh, I'm just going to use the uh, traveling salesman dilemma, and, and I'm going to represent an elf with a boot, and my elves are going to want to collect colored, c- c- uh, colored cylinders. Mm-hmm. He didn't even bother to make them gems or flowers or, or, or you it's, know. It's 1998. This it's is 1998. high production value for yeah, 1998. Yes. And, and, and then he basically said, I'm going to randomize a few elements in it uh, to, to make it competitive. It's a game 
that a brilliant person could could design in 10 minutes. There's no narrative components. There's no genuine uh, complexity. Uh, it's pure math. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's why they don't like the game. <laughs> I think what it is, so I think it's a combination of things. First of all, it's a mean game. It's a mean game. A person that is ahead going into the last round is going to get all of these blocking tiles dropped on them and their score is going to get is, is going to get pummeled and, and crushed and they're going to feel picked on and and you know like when you dropped a blocking tile on me to stop me from winning the last time we played Dimitri I'm still mad at you from that I'm still very very Paul angry asked, and hurt Paul your <laughs> brother-in-law asked me to do that <laughs> I wouldn't have done it if I were if, if Paul wasn't saying please. You would please, have done it. You were already ready to slow do it. Top down. You were already ready to do it. Actually, no. by that point, I had forgotten what the blocking tile was. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, amazing. There is uh, there is runaway leader problems, right? And then there are bash the leader games, right? And lots of games have a a way to bash the leader. There are some games in which the bash leader is measured. There are some games in which Bash the Leader is elegantly done. And then there are some games when they just give you a big hammer. <laughs> and this game just gives everybody a big hammer and just says, everyone put your thumbs on the table. We're just going to smash some thumbs now. And that's kind of the way the last round goes. Also, there is a lot of blocking that can go on in the game, and it's not always intentional. Paul always says that if he hurt you, and he didn't mean to do it, he always feels really bad. Because, not that he doesn't want to hurt you, he does, but he wants to know that he's doing it. He wants to look you in the eyes as he yeah, puts down that tile and make sure, exactly, exactly. If it's unintentional, it's like he accidentally stubbed your toe. He's going to feel horrible about that. He didn't want to cause yeah. you pain in that way. This game has that, right? I don't, you don't know what, what cards I have. I don't know what cards you have. So placing a tile, we After cannot be sure. After a while, we can guess, though. Um, a little bit. We can guess if you can't take a certain route that's obviously mm -hmm. uh, w would take you to a cylinder, but you don't do it. It's yes. because you don't have those cards. There's some guessing. Uh, the other thing is, is that there are 20 locations in the game, and it is mathematically well within the realm of possibility that, that if you have a particularly good round, you can get to all 20. Uh, what that does is it creates this situation. In one round? No, no, no. In, in, by the end of the four rounds. Oh, right? oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Eight, yeah, eight times. If you have a really bad round, yeah. like I did in my first round, you're not going to get all 20s. Right. Eight times four is 32. So the maximum number of towns you could visit is theoretically 32 and there are only 20 towns in the game so it's something that is well within the realm of possibility because of that because you could get close to the maximum it just feels punitive everything that that in the in the game that conspires to keep you from getting toward those last few and card draw is punitive it is a random element that you cannot predict and cannot plan for, and even the best player in the game can only somewhat mitigate card draw. So if I am at the top of the board and I've got four cities left to visit in the last round of the game and I get a hand of 70% um, rafts, I'm dead. I'm dead, and nobody did anything 
to 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 kill me. There was nothing artful to it. It was simply the luck of the draw. Now, uh, Alan Moon has a variant uh, of the game which we can't play on Board Game Arena, but I do think is a better variant, and and that is that when you have cards left over in your hand. The next round, you get a full hand of eight cards plus the cards that you have left over, and then you discard down to a hand of eight, and that should mitigate that situation. Uh, but it doesn't solve the problem exactly. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I do. Yeah, Jake, Jake what do you think? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. No, what were you saying? I, I was oh, just I, throwing I, out I, a I wanted, I actually wanted to ask you, I actually wanted to ask you what you thought about the competitive bash the leader aspect of the game. Well, honestly, I am never one to enjoy that part of the game. I, I, I don't, I don't uh, get off the way, let's say, <clears throat> Paul maybe does on, um, maybe, you know, the gotcha and ha ha ha. Maybe, but uh, I'm not, I wouldn't put any words in anybody's mouth. But um, I don't disregard it as like a component of many smart games. Like mm-hmm. it is all competition. Yep. So I, clearly, there's a place for that. It's not for me personally. Yeah. Um, and I know I, I talked with Matt about this once about how the less there is of that, the more it just feels like you're doing your own thing in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you could, I could play this game by myself almost, and just hope that my cards take me where I want to go. Yes, lack of interaction. Um, but can yeah, be... no. For me personally, I don't like that. I don't. I don't like the ha ha ha. I, I I messed you up. Yeah, yeah. So that is an aspect of this game. It is, you know, it, it's there. Mm-hmm. That said, it's still a pretty fun game. It's a pretty interesting design. The, the math Dimitri talks about is absolutely right, and it's. Kind of fascinating to play. And Doris Madhouse, who did the art design, did an amazing job. She was the first game artist that was really recognized for being an artist. She did the design for El Grande, Tigris and Euphrates, Carcassonne, the beautiful work of Carcassonne, St. Petersburg, Bonanza, Primordial Soup, which is a game she actually also designed and I own. I, I really like it. She was an early uh, game artist. She was the Ian O'Toole of her time and deserves a lot of recognition as such. She was kind of a, a, kind of amazing, and this game shows all of that off. All of the art is, is, is beautiful. Every little town you visit is unique and has its own flourishes. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and there are different types of art. There's the terrain art mm. that invokes Tolkien in, in a very interesting uh, way without being slavishly imitative. Uh, and I really love the cards. I love her dragon. I love her unicorn. I love her trolls. Uh, mm. They're beautiful to look at. Uh, I'll say. Let me. Let me just say. Uh, I think pick, I have to be the dissenting opinion here. I, I, I'm not. It doesn't doesn't float my boat. Really? I'm not putting her down. I don't think I could draw it. I couldn't draw as well as she does, obviously. But I'm looking at it, and it just looks like. I don't know. That, it doesn't do it for me. My kids but really like it. I did enjoy the game very much. My kids really like it, and I would yeah, say that if, mean, you, if you take out the blocking tiles and you try to play a more friendly game, I think this is a game that goes over well with kids because we're, we're these little elves and we're trying to go to all the little villages and, oh, now I'm going to play a pig and I'm going to ride a pig through the forest to, to this place and, oh, I'm going to fly a dragon over mm-hmm. the mountain. And, and it's, it's kind of cute and kind of 
fun as long as people aren't, aren't being too cut. You don't have to play a cutthroat. I think what you said earlier, Jake, is dead on right, that there's a way to play this game that is more friendly. And for the younger yeah. crowd, this is a very attractive game to a younger crowd. So it's versatile. Yeah. I'd like to try it that way. Yeah. I think you should. Uh, at some point, uh, Paul loaned loan the game to Not me, so group. I can't loan it to you. But <laughs> at some point, ask Paul to loan it to you when you're ready to play it with your boy. Absolutely. Uh, I, I will. I, I, there's something we should mention, and that's the playing time of the game. Uh, it took us about 90 minutes to play it with a teach. Yeah. I, I think that with replayability, this is easily a 60-minute game. Yeah, 60, uh, 75 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so that absolutely. might... That reminds me of Bus, mm. um, a, another very, very highly competitive game that because it plays relatively fast, uh, you, you know, 60, 75 minutes, it, 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 there are not many games like this. There are not many. Oh, and by the high- way, thank you to Tom for doing such a good teach, but I, I always want to say that because it's, it's one of your skills and it made it more fun for me to be able to just get it right away. Oh, thanks, Jake. I really it, appreciate it that. It was an excellent teach, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Elfinland. It, it totally was. Uh, I want to move right on to our segment because we're at an hour and a half now. How to know oh, if wow. a game is not for you. Jake, talk to me. Jake and Dimitri, I want you guys to start this conversation off. I feel that, I listen, I don't love everything. You know that. When we talked about gatekeeping, I, I confessed that I do gatekeep and I do look down on, on some games and I do criticize uh, a, a certain game. So I'm definitely still in that crowd. That said, I think my tastes are fairly broad. I like... Catholic. I like, <laughs> yes. I know the sense you mean that word and I will accept it. Yeah, I, I, I listen, I, I have I have a ton of party games in, in my collection. I got light, I got heavy, I got a, I got war games. I like a lot of different types of games. So uh, while I do still have games that are definitely not for me, um, I, I think that the, the categories that they go in tend to be more narrow. I want to hear from you guys. Tell me. Tell me. How do you right. find Can I just time? say, um, first of all, that even though it's my episode yes. and Dimitri is my, my guest, and so happy to have him credit where it's due, this was his suggestion for our segment. And I immediately loved it. He mentioned it to me, and it, it totally started exploding in my mind. And he, he also really helped sort of define the, the, the categories. We talked a little bit about this, obviously, beforehand, and I think it would be pretty ridiculous for me to step all over his toes when we dance. So I kind of would love it if he would lead us through this, and of course, not just, you know, diatribe, but like, I, I, really, want, uh, I really want you guys to hear it the way he, he explained it to me, because he crystallized my thinking on this immensely. All right, Dimitri. I, I think for both Jake and me, uh, the, the number one thing of how we know a game is not for us is if we don't like looking at it. Uh, if I yes, don't like, absolutely, uh, Jake, I think you can uh, like the way you put it is the best. Now, when you say that, does it sound shallow? Here's <laughs> well, I mean, it, either, even if it is, it, it's it's a pure it's a pure <laughs> response. I mean, right? People work hard to put this thing in front of your face. You're going to spend time with it. And it either clicks or it doesn't. And, and I think that works across many media. I mean, it's not just movies or books or, you know, games or anything. When we see something, we, we're going to have a gut reaction to it. 
And I, I for sure am very much in that category of if, if I'm looking at something that I don't like, it's going to make it harder for me to engage. When you have a teach, you have to look at the board and the components yep. with concentration and focus. When you're playing the game, Jake, you look at the boards and you look at the components. If you don't like looking at the board and the components, you're not going to enjoy it. You're going to have to force yourself to focus on it. And it's not going to be an enjoyable Absolutely. experience. Why would you go through it again? For me, the number one game that I hate, despise the look of is Food Chain Magnet. I hate the cadaverous mm. blue color of it. I, I, I hate the cutesy 50s style art and the tiny print and the cards. And I hate the, the, the dotted dashes that represent the streets. I, I can't focus on it. It just slides off my retinas in a way that I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to care. Is there a game you can think of uh, that does that for you that you might think you might enjoy playing, but it's just, it's not even ugly. It's just too unengaging or plain. Yes, for me, I, I did think about this, and I'm not going to pretend to remember all the names, but all the 18xx railway games. Yep. Like, I know there's something really interesting happening there. I know it because I had a moment in, I only played one or two of them, but I did have a moment where I was like starting to see the complexity kind of in my brain, but it's just a bunch of lines. And like, I just, I just can't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm in a world. It doesn't feel like I'm on a train or, you know, going across the country. And I think that one is, is a roadblock for me, an example of it that way. And Tom, I think you like that. I think for you, that kind of handmade, simple look, uh, for you, it like is almost nostalgic and you enjoy that kind of thing, right? Um, uh, okay. So when I started playing games, I w was used to games that looked awful. That that the listen the design was functional. It was it was put these things on this. You know, I played games like Whiz War. I mean, the original Chess X Whiz War. I remember playing that with you. Oh yeah, just just these horrible little you know chits, and your chit is that one, and the, and everything is beat up, and the cards aren't even they're not even covered. They're just paper. They're just raw paper, and and they're disintegrating in your hands. And I love that game. They made a new Whiz War. <laughs> And it is big and glossy and has stand in, standees and all that sort of stuff. And I hate it. I hate that game. It's awful. It's just a piece of junk. It's a, it's a bimbo. It lost all of its character. I do. I like the old handmade games. I don't like all of them, though. I don't like them just because of that. It, literally, the look of a game is such a non-factor to me. It's what is the, what mm -hmm. is the game. For me, it's all about personality. <laughs> you know, I yeah. look. I look beyond but, the. Yeah, I, I look beyond the physical, I, and I, I go right to the personality. Me. That's me. Yeah, not me. Not <laughs> me at all. I'm. I'm. I'm way more on. Like I, I. I like to get to the personality, but for me, it's a roadblock. What it looks like first. Splatter games because I, I think you. I think you. Yeah. yeah, food chain magnet is a splatter game, and splatter games are not the easiest on the eyes. They're just not. Even, yeah. a, even a great one like Indonesia. Indonesia is an excellent example of, of, of them actually saying, no, let, let's 
have a good-looking game, and it's not that hard. Sort of, Maybe but it's it non-functional. Hard. It's 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 a beautiful board that doesn't work very well. So it, it creates a, a problem. Even when they do it right, they do it wrong. But but the personality so, of those games are astonishing. I love them. I love the I love the way they make me feel. I love the way they challenge me. So, like so in Dimitri, the be- let's get back to some of the other criteria sure. that, that we sort of had discussed. Uh, go ahead. Oh well, for me, for me, the the next one on the top of my list, though there there were quite a few that you came up with, was the obvious complexity. Like if if there is clearly many many balls to be juggled, that might be something that will turn people off. Like for me, I right away I know I'm not going to engage if it's too complex immediately. I just know I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not saying I might you know, not enjoyed if I had 10 years to really delve into it, but just on the face of it, like, Oh, here's a new game. And I can see right away. It's way too complex. Like, uh, or what do they call that? Like the weight of it. Yeah. Then I'm immediately turned off. So you're saying the and, game- and that's me. And maybe that's very much, you know, as the casual gamer, but there's a lot of people out there who can use that as a way to look at this and be like, if you know that you don't like a game that's going to be too taxing to enjoy for you, mm. that's that's definitely one of the categories you can immediately identify. So you're saying the game has to be handsome and have a maximum of two balls. Got it. <laughs> I mean, you know, every like, like you, Tom. <laughs> are going to vary. Some of us only have two. I can't speak for what you're carrying around, but I know that I'm not going to enjoy it if I'm going to have to struggle to enjoy it. I want to generalize that you know a little I mean? bit uh, mm-hmm. and just say basically know your limit. Uh, for me, limit yeah, is the limit is not complexity but length. Uh, I love the estates. Mm. The estates is a fight in a phone booth, but it only lasts forty five minutes. Mm. I can stand a fight in a phone booth for forty five minutes. Four hours of a fight in a phone booth for me is too much. Uh, so. The, the interactivity, uh, uh, ferocity, uh, how, how much you are at each other's throats, difficulty and length mm. are all very like, a, like tangible limits that you can find out about before. And the combinations mm-hmm. of those limits. Yeah. Like, I'd be perfectly Absolutely. happy to play a 4.5 difficulty game in two hours. Like Barrage. I'm not sure if it's 4.5 difficulty, but no, it's not that high. But it's but it's high. It's, it's good. like 4.2 4. or 4. something 0, like, right, something 4. like that. So like Barrage looks ugly, um, and, and and is very yeah. hard and is often very cutthroat, but it's also two hours, you know. And suddenly it goes from being if it were a four or a five hour game, I I wouldn't even look at it. At two hours, I love it. It's one of my absolute favorite games. Uh, those limits are very useful, and at, 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 at know yours, mm-hmm. uh, and, and 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 then you can like tell in advance, even before playing a game that. Uh, it might not be for you and definitely after a first play. Yeah. I mean, for me, I know if the, if the other factors are in place are correct, like if it's not too complex and I like the way it looks, I could play it all night long. I could just go until I pass out, but that's probably because I'm not burning so much of my brain power to do it and I can just cruise through and enjoy it. Mm. Yeah, I got that. Um, I think you are 
again, the opposite. You like to uh, uh, exercise. Yeah, it, it, it's almost, there, there is almost no upper limit to complexity. Now, there's not no upper limit to complexity. Um, you know, uh, there are some war games where, you know, I, I start reading them. You know, Campaign for North Africa, I start reading them. I'm like, oh, out, out, I'm out. You got me. You got you sons of guns. You did it. You you uh, you killed me. You you killed you killed happy complex Tom. Um, but no, for the most part, yeah. As heavy as you want to get, you can go to me with that. I tend to my objection tends to be on the other end of the scale. The floor, not the ceiling. Tends because to be there the, are two kinds of limits. The yes, floor, right? Yes, and and not just the floor because yeah. because yeah, it's too easy. You're not going to get into it. I don't mind a light game. What I mind is a game that doesn't challenge me in any way. And there's a difference between lightness and, sure. and, and challenge. When, when I say that I'm allergic to miniatures, uh, what I mean by that is that most miniature games are a lot about dice rolling and relatively little about strategy. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, and there are many, many examples that, that counteract the point that I'm making. But for the most part, um, those are games in which there is a lot more luck going on than there is strategy. And the strategy that there is is, is oftentimes catered, uh, centered around building uh, up an army in this form or in that form. I'm thinking of Warhammer sure. and games like that. Whereas for me, I would much rather have like like if battle strategy and and tactics and 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 the way the campaign is organized, if those are the those are the things, the behaviors that are rewarded, you know, deep thought that goes into it, and that's what wins the the, the campaign. That's more my that's more my. But we both bag. love Eclipse, yep. where you build up an army technically in Eclipse. Yeah, no, uh, Eclipse is the exception that proves the rule, right? Eclipse, for me, is nostalgic to what those kinds of miniature games used to be, right? It is, Eclipse right. is far more strategic than all of those other games. You are building an economy, right? The tiles sure. that, you, that you choose to populate, the place that you choose to attack, the places that you colonize, each one of them has a huge impact on your economy, it 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 decides whether or not you are going to be a technologically forward campaign, whether or not you're going to run a campaign where you're building ships in large numbers in order to swarm people. And there's a lot of strategy that goes into that game, and that's that's why for me, it's it's the it's the exception that proves the rule. It's a game that does have miniatures, that does do all of those sorts of things, but does it in a thoughtful way, and in which I feel like. The dice are not the, the dice are certainly affecting the game, but the dice are not deciding the game. And you can tell that from the description of the game. Yeah, you can tell that in advance. You you certainly can. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So a third, but maybe the most important thing, uh, is know who you'll be playing the game with. Yeah, a absolutely. If I'm playing with any of you guys, I, I you know, I, I I'm just gonna stay home. Well, like when I played Everdell, yes, I hated Everdell. One of the main reasons I hated Everdell is I was playing it with serious, very good players who don't get to play much, mm. and so took a very long time optimizing their uh. turn. 
uh, and uh, what should oh, be a yeah. ninety-minute game turned into a three and a half-hour game, mm. uh, and it was kind of like wow. watching um, uh, like a, an Avengers movie at half speed. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, yeah, no, that'll that'll kill you, right? And and the even the best game in the world on the wrong day on the wrong with the wrong crowd can be laborious. Yeah, it'll be a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. Yep. So, Jake, uh, who are the people in our group that you don't like to play with? <laughs> well, let's say you want it alphabetically or by weight. <laughs> wait, wait, did you say by weight? <laughs> alphabetically. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> by no, weight. I love I you guys. <laughs> and I miss you like crazy pants because you're like a super clever, intelligent group of people that like the stuff I like. That's hard to find. Yeah, I agree. I do think you're right, Dimitri, that... that uh, that the group that you play a game in, especially the first time, can really color that game for, oh, absolutely. Uh, for a very time, long yes. time. Can, can you think of any examples, uh, Jake, of like game nights? Examples that... of games where I might not have liked it if I hadn't been playing it with you guys? Or just well, the opposite. Little, or um... just the opposite, where you, you might have not liked it because we were like the people around you were taking a long time or, yeah. Well, I mean, I will say that I can think of a couple of games where analysis paralysis on the part of other players definitely stifled my interest in ever playing it again. Mm. But that's also kind of small-minded of me because clearly you can't blame the game for that. You know what I mean? If you were playing with somebody who was a little more easy-peasy about it, it might be more fun. But no, I I can't say I can really, you know, point fingers in that regard. I've been pretty lucky with enjoying just if not the gameplay but the company surrounding the gameplay with just about all the games that we've tried there's only been one or two times ever in all the game nights i've ever had with this group of friends where the game was so outside my reach that like i felt bad to be sort of bogging down everybody else like i I knew i wasn't even really competing or playing or just like i was just a placeholder and everybody was so focused that i was just like i could just not be here um, and, and I don't even remember which game that was, but that's very rare, very rare. Uh, as Alfred For said, group, I would say. as Alfred said last week, you, you have to play to win. It's not important to win, but if you're not playing to win, you're, you're, you're not yourself or having the right game experience. So you're not giving your fellow players the right game experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's correct, and and sometimes if I find myself out of my depth, then I just do the best I can. But there have been one or two times where I was just like, "There's literally no way I, I'm going to affect the outcome of this uh, in any way, shape, or form." And I, you know, I, I could see myself tuning out. And I seem to remember the next day or two, somebody was like making comments like, "Jake was on his phone all night last night," <laughs> and it's because I, I couldn't, I couldn't even like, I couldn't focus on the board. The meeples were just like yelling at me. So I was probably looking down at my phone playing some very simple, like, mind wipe game in the the meanwhile. Uh, uh, Paul tells me that Trey is just like you. uh, That for Trey, the most important thing is to be able to make meaningful decisions. Yeah. Uh, And if he Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like he makes meaningful decisions, or he can make meaningful decisions from beginning to end, he will tune out. He will stop playing a game two-thirds of the yeah. way through if it becomes obvious that he's the winner uh, or somebody else is the winner. Uh, I guess like the pinpoint hmm. here is uh, 
if you don't feel like you can make meaningful decisions in the game, mm-hmm. well, uh, um, you know, there are there are, even with Trey though, there's other things going on than just than just that. That's one of the main criteria for him, and it rules a lot of games out for him. And the exact same thing goes on for me. But there are other things like Trey doesn't like uh, real time games. Captain Sonar. Can't play Captain Sonar. Tom, nobody likes Captain I Sonar. I love Captain Sonar. <laughs> okay, you're the only I love person Captain who Sonar. likes Captain it. Sonar is awesome. And, and but but Trey no, Trey has a visceral reaction against Captain Sonar. Um a part of it is the tracing thing because when he's nervous his hand uh, shakes a, a, a little bit. Um but also he does not he, nothing hits his pleasure center at all when he's under a time pressure to perform. That doesn't work for him. I'm the same exact way. Right, right. There I'm, you go. I'm 100% the same as that. I might not have thought of that, but that's a completely for T- me the tell same Tell me, what, what, do, what, make, what makes you that way? How do you know that you're going to be under time pressure, and what does that do for you? Well, I mean, I can't recall too many examples at all of games that the clock is ticking. I mean... I tried doing chess that way once, and it was a disaster. But like our games, there's not usually that. You we know, not... sometimes they've got the <laughs> the little thing that you turn over and you got to draw fast. But like in our games, we don't really have that. We tend not to play those games because there are certain there are some people yeah. in, our, in our game group that are averse to them. So it becomes it, it becomes a, a hard thing to play. Matt uh, doesn't like any pretty much cooperative games. He does not find them yeah. interesting uh, or or involving. He feels like they're they're it's it's like you're sitting down and you're all doing a jigsaw puzzle together. He has said before, you know. It, I it, love that though. Right. So, but I'm opposite him in that regard. So, so people love, uh, do wanted to make a co-op out of Elfin Land. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that that was I a did, great I idea. Did. I was thinking it when we were playing it. Yeah, Paul. Paul has said in in the past. Now he's gotten over it. But he used to have a really hard time with Age of Steam and, and games like that because he didn't like the sensation of being in debt. And Age of Steam, you are in debt for almost the entire game. And he was like, I, I feel, you know, at this place where I am in my life, I don't want to feel like I don't want to come to a game night and feel like I'm in debt. And there's like this heavy burden over me. I get enough of that in the real world. I don't need that. Right. Right I don't need that right now. You so know. just like you should know your limits, you might also want to know your triggers. Yeah, exactly. And a game right. can flip triggers. Yes, it can. Very much so. You know, uh, um, there's one more thing that I want to mention, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that is distractors. Mm. Uh, distractors, for those of you who've taken the SAT, I'm, I'm sure almost everybody listening to the program has. Uh, they're the incorrect answer uh, in multiple choice uh, that seems so right, like such a general truth and so compelling that that they're there to distract you, to make you pick that wrong answer over the right one. And I think, for me, there are games that are very compelling, but I know they're wrong for me. Um, And and they compel me because of things that uh, I like, but they're not going to deliver on them. Prata Porter, Prata Porter, the game that uh, Ben Mm -hmm. 
came in with uh, was an excellent example of that because it, it felt to me like it was going to be a combination of the gallerist and Project Runway. And I thought, oh, that's going to be fantastic. But it turned out to be basically an economic engine game mm -hmm. uh, in a little black dress. Yep, and and it's not what I was looking for. It had all the signals of a game that I would enjoy, but it, it the mechanisms meshed in a completely different way. You feel like you got the bait and switch. Not so much the bait and switch because yeah. I'm sure, like Paul, enjoyed the game. And by the way, Elfenland could be argued is a little bit of a bait and switch. It looks very friendly. It totally is. It looks it looks sweet. It, well, it almost also looks like. I mean, you say elves and like you think you're gonna have like an adventure, and it's just a boot. <laughs> you know what I mean? A little bit. I was, talking, cue. Sorry. I was talking more about the punches in the face that happen in the in the latter half of the game as it as it devolves yeah. into battle royale. But okay. Uh, well, f what's interesting about yeah, Elfenland... You're going on a grand adventure, and here's your boot. Yes. The okay. problem for me with Elfenland is that there's so many games that we've played that I've loved, like Marco Polo, mm. like Concordia, yep. um, like Hansa Teutonica, that, that utilize the mechanism of having to visit mm -hmm. these cities having to maximize you know you, you know uh, or minimize your travel time paying for the travel time you know with camels uh, it, mm -hmm. it, it, and all those things are, are things that i was expecting from it mm. no because all those games were influenced by uh, Elfenland uh, and 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 uh, built upon it. Correct. But Elfenland is the bones. Yes, it is. It is where a lot of those design trends came from. Guys, I think that was fantastic. Is there any any last thoughts we want to we want to throw in here? But I I, I think that was a really interesting discussion, and it gives it should give everybody some room for thought. Like, what is it about games that I don't like? What is it about games that I love? And what are my triggers? I think that was an interesting thing we, we came up with that we don't always uh, think of. But there are some things. There, there are little peccadillos that it doesn't even, it's not even that I object to this in a game. It's that when this is the game experience, that is an experience that just gives me no pleasure. Competition can be a trigger. Over like a lot of people. Direct competition. Area control can be a trigger yeah. because you can be attacked from all and sides. And once again, I'm on the other side of that. I'm, I, for me, I need some for, competition. The multiplayer solitaire is the thing that, that starts to turn me off when there's not enough of that. So it's interesting. I would say my final thought on this is that even if you really take the time to refine what you know is your trigger or, or turn off, it may still be worth it to try a new game. Because as the casual gamer in this group, I'm constantly trying new games I've never played before. And even if I have an inkling about something that I might not enjoy it based on any of those factors... I'm still curious, and I'm still down to get the teach and give it a go, because sometimes you're surprised, and you find something that you otherwise wouldn't have liked. That's why we like you, Jake. We, we love the fact that you're, all, you're willing to expand your horizons and try new things. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. I wish, I wish we all were more like that. Uh, guys, that is yeah, it for that. You know what? Let us do, because we, we we're starting to build up some game sommeliers, which I'm really happy about. Let's do one board game sommelier. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abou. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far as my 50th player of Agricola. A million games, 
Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. All right. Can't wait to hear what Alfred wants ever. to do with that song. <laughs> um, we yeah, have, you can't change that at all. Whoever did that is a genius. Whoever did that is a genius. I could not agree more. I don't more. know who that is, but it's fucking amazing. He <laughs> should just add a bunch of feedback and white noise. <laughs> um, our board game sommelier question today is from Pablo Silva. Hi, greetings from Germany. Greetings right back to you, Pablo. You guys are awesome. Hi, Pablo. I think Pablo Silva is a great name for a game designer. It does. Yeah. That is like totally. the new Pablo Silva game is coming out. It's going to be amazing. I, I already funded it on Kickstarter. I wonder if it is a, a game designer. It does sound like a game, game designer. Um, here we go. I've been thinking about buying Twa. However, I've seen that maybe Concordia is a better option or even thinking that you would recommend Everdell instead. What do you think, which is a good option for a rather not-so-simple worker placement game? Great podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Pablo. We appreciate that. Tough question because you haven't, Thanks, given, us a, you, you haven't given us a lot of information, except you're thinking about Twa. You think Concordia might be a better option, but you're even thinking about Everdell. And then at the end, you say not-so-simple worker placement game. Everdell is not really a worker placement game. Not it's, primarily a worker placement game, is it? Oh yeah, it definitely is. Okay. I mean, you have is Concordia primarily a worker placement? No, game? Concordia is not a worker placement game. That is correct. So if you're looking for a worker placement game, Concordia is not your baby. Um, of the three, Everdell is the most of a worker placement game. It is it is primarily a put out workers, get resources, play cards. And then repeat the process. And it's beautiful. And it is beautiful. But it is a simple worker it placement is, game. It is beautiful. Everdell is simple, though. So if you're looking for a not-so-simple worker placement game, Everdell probably isn't that because it is a fairly simple game. I mean, it, one of the amazing things about it is that uh, it has an elegance to it that allows the simple to grow in complexity and really and really be enjoyable. So we, we recommend that very highly. Twa is an absolute classic. Is it a worker placement game? Not exactly. You do have workers, and you do place them. So it is a worker placement game in that sense. But most worker placement games, you're doing you're doing the worker placement to choose actions and to do some sort of action selection. And that's not what happens in Twa. Off the top of my head, mm -hmm. uh, dice worker placement games, are like, there are four I can think of. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's Lorenzo, mm -hmm. uh, Coimbra, mm -hmm. Teotihuacan, mm -hmm. uh, and I forget the fourth. I just had it in my mind. Marco Polo. Marco Polo. There you go. Uh, all four by the uh, by our Italian designing friends. Yes, and Marco Polo, of course, also combines qualities of of Concordia because it is a root game. Yeah, and and some of those I would say I, I would say start with Lorenzo probably because I think it's it's. Uh, really elegant in terms of the way the worker placement goes. Everybody has uh, uh, four workers that you're going to be able to use. The dice are rolled, and everybody's values are the exact same. So the the values change from round to round, and you have to adapt to that. But uh, I think that's a really good choice. Um, I will say Tribune. The new edition of Tribune is coming out soon, and that is a wonderful worker placement game that really you use your workers 
to collect cards to get sets of cards to unlock extra bonuses and actions. And which is very toi. Which is very toi. And 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 of the three you mentioned, Pablo, toi would be my choice. If you're really looking for a not so simple simple worker placement game, toi is kind of worker placement game, but it is definitely not simple. It is definitely complex interactions and very, very interesting. If you don't mind something that is simple but elegant, I would go with Everdell. And if the worker placement part isn't so important to you, you can't go wrong with Concordia. All three games you mentioned are fantastic. But if you want to look outside of the, your normal, I think Lorenzo and Tribune are two, two great choices. Anything you want to add, Jake, out of those? I think you should get all three. Boom. There you go. That's what I think. Get them all. get all three, and I think he'd enjoy them. Totally. Totally. Go, Pablo. Totally. Go, Pablo. Thank you so much, Pablo. Thank you much to everybody who's listening out there. We hope that you are safe. We hope that you are healthy. We hope that, uh, that the times that we are living in are not getting you too down, and we hope that you're finding a way to... Uh, to take care of yourselves and most importantly to take care of each other. For me personally, the last two weeks have been a time of hope. Mm. Uh, the, the, the first time in three months. For me as well. For me as well. Uh, we want you to know that we're going to keep turning these out. It is not always the easiest thing to do, but, uh, but it helps us and hopefully it helps you as well. Toward that end, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group and a Discord channel, both of which are hopping. And please get in more of those board game sommelier questions. We do love them so. And you have been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com or you can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games.